Okay, so um, again, whoops, what did I do? Oh, there we go. Okay. Um, okay. How about around 11? Somewhere between 11 and What happened? I want to stop and relocate our lives. Uh, I, I, I don't know. We, did, we didn't bring the Gemara here. Okay. So you might, so you want to go back to like, uh, to Shari Rachamim for that? Okay. Around 11, 11, 11, 15. Okay. So like in, uh, so that's what, an hour from now? Okay. All right. So, uh, so we're at, you were at Yud Gimel. So, Moshe said to Hashem, I'm coming to Bnei Israel and I'm going to say to them, the God of your forefathers sent me to you. And they will say, what is his name? What should I say to them? Right? So this is a very famous uh, part of the dialogue. Um, where Hashem says this name that we don't really encounter in any other context, uh, that I will be what I will be. Or sometimes they translate it in the old English, I am what I am. All right, same, same concept, right? But the, the, and uh, so should you say to Bnei Israel, I will be sent me to you. So, the question, of course, is what is the significance, the meaning of this, uh, uh, this, this back and forth? Because all of the Mefarshim basically quote the Rambam. Everyone post Rambam quotes the Rambam, even the even the Ramban. That uh, it's a very strange thing to say. Uh, I'm going to come to Bnei Israel and ask them, uh, and they're going to ask me, "What is your name?" I mean, if everybody know, if they know the name already, so what's the chidush? in the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu knows the name. And if they don't know the name, then he could make up any name and say it. And how are they going to know the difference? Right? In other words, if you come and if he knows the name already, uh, because everybody knows the name, so then it's not a big sign of anything that he knows the name. On the other hand, he could just be making it up, an arbitrary name, and they wouldn't know the difference either. So the question is... Um, Huh? The Rambam asks this in the Moran Nebuchim, actually, but pretty much everybody after uh, acknowledges that point and says, yeah, I mean, it's a very compelling point. I mean, what, what, what does it mean? They're going to ask me, what is your name? What should I say? How, how, will, he, how will they know uh, if the name that he gives is, uh, is the real name or not? If they already know the name, so then, uh, uh, then it's not really a good code word because, I mean, the fact is that everybody knows the name anyway, so he's just, uh, he knows it like everybody else. And if nobody knows the name, then he could say uh, any random made-up name, and it would be just as valid uh, in their eyes as as the true name, because they have no uh, they have no way to tell what the name is. Rabbi, is there any significance? You guys keep for some reason it keeps fading in and out when you talk. Like I hear the beginning and then it fades. I, I was saying, is there any significance to the name that he presents to Moshe whenever he says this? 
I still for some reason I still can't hear you. I don't know. Like why does it say beginning and then it and then your voice fades. I'm not sure why. Maybe the mic is not as good as that computer. Oh, it's what what I was saying. Can you hear me better now, Rabbi? Yeah, maybe a little. Yeah. Okay. I was saying, is there any significance to the fact that right now the presentation of Hashem is through the Yomer Elohim? Whenever he's telling him, yeah, it's like Yomer Elohim. For some reason, it's totally fading out when you talk. I can't hear you. I don't know why. He's asking. He's asking why does why does it use the word Elohim and not Adonai? Is there a specific? Oh. Um. Yeah. I mean, I assume. I assume that the reason for the name Elohim is because uh, is because the, uh, the the name Elohim is the name of justice, and we're talking about uh, we're talking about the justice, uh, the issue of justice and the injustice being addressed of what's going on in Mitzrayim. So I, I except for the that, fact that in Pasuk Zion you have Adonai Right. Then it then it switches back, but that could be because Moshe asked, "What is the name that I'm supposed to introduce?" And the name that uh, that that he's supposed to introduce is the Eyeshir Eye name, which really is connected to the um, in other words, it depending on what the perspective of the uh, uh, of Moshe in the particular instance, that's going to determine what the name is that is used in the context uh, that he's speaking. So for instance, when Hashem is saying uh uh, when has, when Hashem is speaking about the intervention in Mitzrayim, so it makes sense for him to use the word Yud Kevavke because that is the that is the name of Hashem that signifies that that Hashem is outside of space and time and can therefore uh, perform miracles and change you know change the order of nature and so on and is not operating uh, through the or through the typical laws of nature or otherwise. Whereas when he's speaking about the situation of justice and injustice, so there using the name Yudke Vavke is more—I'm uh, sorry—they're using the name Elokim is uh, more appropriate to the uh, to the topic, right? That's—it's a more—it's uh, going to vary based upon the subject. So, in, so when he's speaking about uh, intervention, it makes more sense to say Vayomer Hashem b'Mitzrayim, and I'm going to intervene when he when he's addressing the issue of. Um, of justice, because there he's dealing with how does it make sense? How is it right that I'm the person chosen for this task? And how is it right that the Jewish people are being taken out of Egypt? How, how is it correct? How is it right in the eyes of God that that should happen? So that's an issue of Elohim uh, more than Yud Kevavke. So it makes sense that, that would that the name of Yud Kevavke wouldn't appear, the name of Elohim would appear. But then he, and, and that's why he's addressing him uh, I would I would assume you know he's addressing him in that uh, name because of that because he's dealing with what is right and what is correct um, in the in, in the order of things. So that, that's actually interesting because that that might that might change the way that we view. But I don't I don't even know. But because you it seems the the name yeah sure yeah very much seems like a Adonai kind of representation. It is no, no it's, it's the same concept. I mean, I think everybody agrees that it's the same thing as Yud Kevavke, pretty much. Yeah, so so that that's what kind of caught my eye. Like, why why isn't that what? Like, right. So not- so the question the question is. I mean, I think what the Rambam's question that everybody really grapples with, uh, you know, the Ramban de- deals with it, and the um, and the uh, all the Mefarshim post Rambam deal with this difficulty of like, what kind of a question is it? What name should I tell them? I mean, what is the significance? What name you tell them? 
uh, it is a, uh, you know, a name it can be arbitrary. And either I know the code or I don't know the code. If I if they don't know the code and 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 he makes any name up, how will they know that he's uh, that he's being a, a faithful representative? And if they do know, so then okay, everybody knows. So why is that such a big uh, chidush that he knows the password, so to speak? He knows the name of Hashem, right? So so the the Rambam's interpretation and and the Ramban mentions it. He doesn't love. He doesn't adopt it, but he he mentions it. And I think most of the Farshim mention the basic concept. That um that the that the um, that the he's that there were two elements here. One element is that he has to teach, he has to demonstrate a knowledge of Hashem that convinces them that he has a proper understanding of Hashem and impart that to the people because they know that you know they're they have obviously they are the descendants of Abraham Yitzchak and Yaakov. They know that there's a certain unique concept of God that they. Uh, that is the tradition of the Jewish people. It's not some idolatrous concept of God. And therefore, if he can't demonstrate a, uh, uh, an understanding of Hashem, that really is a compelling and what will be to them recognizable as a, a proper understanding of Hashem, then they're not going to take him seriously to begin with. In other words, there are two elements to the shlichut. One element is that he has to demonstrate that he has a knowledge of God that is such that they will respect it and they'll be willing to listen. And the second is that he has to be able to convince them that Hashem has actually sent him on a mission. That's a totally separate component of the uh, of the persuasion that he has to do. So the the so I will be what I will be is similar to Yud Kevavke. In other words, the way that the Rambam in, reads it and the way that you know most of the Mefarshim who read from a more philosophical perspective do interpret it that way, that it means existence, I will be what I will be is the same way as saying I'm absolute existence. I'm non, non-conditional existence. All, all other things exist uh, like the, the you know like uh, the the Rambam uh, says, but really all of the philosophers say that existence is a property of a thing. So uh, something has the property of existence, and the property of existence can be taken away, and then it doesn't exist. It's not a part of its essence to exist. Meaning, like you could have a table that you're sitting out right now; it happens to exist right now um, because somebody built it. But it could, it, but table and existence don't necessarily go together because you could dismantle the table and then it won't exist uh you know the way that it does so hashem is it doesn't get his existence from outside himself hashem's existence is non-negotiable it's not conditional on anything it's absolute so means god's existence is absolute and therefore it isn't within the framework of space and time and it cannot be, and it's not, it's, it's not ever capable of being changed in any way or altered in any way. That's the idea of Yud Kevavke. Being outside of space and time, in other words, Yud Kevavke is was, is, and will always be, which means to say uh, eternal or outside of space and time. And once you're, so things that are within the framework of, uh, of space and time <laughs> subject to coming into existence or fading out of existence. But things that are uh, things that are outside of that framework altogether are not necessarily subject to coming into existence or and 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 going out of existence. And so the idea that God's essence and existence are the same, which is a thing that the Rambam emphasizes a lot all over, both in the Mishneh Torah as well as in the Moran Bukhim, that Hashem's existence and essence are the same. Meaning, he's he, you can't he, he can't not exist. He's the foundation of all other existence. Everything else 
could exist or could not exist. It's dependent upon his will. But his existence is the one non-negotiable reality that there is. So that makes God a transcendent being, not something like an idol that could be uh, created, destroyed, uh, changed, uh, affected, or anything else. So the, the first thing, in other words, the, the reason why he asks, what is your name? What should I tell them is, what idea of God should I show them that demonstrates that I have a knowledge of God and I can give them a knowledge of God that is really genuine and compelling? That's the first issue. The second issue is, once I've done that, how do I prove to these probably skeptical Jewish people that I'm actually sent here by Hashem? And I'm not just, uh, and I'm not just uh, pretending, you know, I, I'm a good teacher that I know ideas about God, but really I wasn't sent here with this particular shlichut by Hashem. So the first thing he wants to know is... Say, what? Not just say you came up there. What? Why, why not just say you came up there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it seems like... Why, it, why don't we call Hashem later on? Yeah, it's a good question. All of the Mephoshim seem to assume that it really is substantively the same meaning. In other words, the name really has the same meaning as Yudke Vavke, even though it's written differently. It's written in the future tense, right? I will be what I will be instead of, uh, instead of just existence in and of itself. They take it to be the same meaning. They take it to be like a perush of Yudke Vavke or, an, or a, a variation on Yudke Vavke. They don't see it as a uh, as a separate name. It's a good question why we very rarely uh, see that name anywhere else. If you know, if we do at all, <clears throat> that's a good question. But um, it, and then in the end, he says, um, and then in the end, he says, so tell them. Uh, so he takes out the and he just says, tell them, I will be has sent you. Right, I will be means that my existence is an absolute. My existence is a given, so I will be. Right, you can't say that about anything else because anything else is a conditional, whether it will be or not. So the fact that Hashem is saying I will be means I'm a, I'm consistent and I'm absolute, and there's no possibility of change. I will be. So that's that's the so the point of that again is that Moshe Rabbeinu first and foremost has to introduce knowledge of God on a high level to the people to demonstrate to them that he really knows what he's talking about because they're not people that are going to accept from some person with a uh, half-baked ideas about God uh, are going to take him seriously because even though they might have been spiritually impoverished to some extent at that time, that doesn't necessarily mean that they were uh, that they would fall for anything. In other words, they knew to recognize a genuine Navi, somebody who really had knowledge and somebody who didn't. And we know that they also had Nevi'im because they had Miriam and they had Aaron there. So they weren't totally uh, without any guidance. They knew they had a, a way to measure whether a person really had something to teach them and really understood something about Hashem in a way that were recognizable and acceptable to them or not. So we, so, so basically what Hashem is, to, what, 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 because, because, Moshe Rabbeinu could have approached the idea of, of introducing God in many ways. He could have introduced the God of nature and used Elohim or, uh, or the God of justice and, and used Elohim. 
or El Shaddai, which was the name that was familiar to the Avot that has to do with the sustaining of creation, being the, being the sustainer of creation. He could have used something that he could point to something in their experience and say, oh, God is the one who causes gravity, or God is the one who orders the planets, or God is the one who uh, establishes justice in the land, and he sent me to free you from bondage. In other words, he could have started as his educational point, any type of idea about God that would have also been true and maybe even would have been more accessible to like, you know, the average person than such a sophisticated idea of So he wanted to know what idea of God should I explain to them through which they are going to basically process everything that happens to them, right? Because name of God means what idea, what theoretical model, so to speak, are you going to use in terms of understanding all the events that are going to take place in Mitzrayim? And so that the, so you could understand it as Elohim, which is actually closer to what Yitro kind of understood, or you could understand it in terms of uh, Hashem Yud Kevavke. And he says that, and Hashem is telling him, I want you to introduce to them the idea of Yud Kevavke, even though what they're going to be seeing is the justice of God, and they're going to be seeing miracles, but they should understand the true understanding of God that is that is that all of these miracles are going to offer evidence of this transcendent concept of God. Don't go for a lower level understanding of God, um, uh, you know, because anytime you link God to the creation, you're you're already um, I don't want to say dumbing down the lesson, but you are you're making it more concrete for the people and you're expecting less. Because you're you're going to explain things, it, it's easier to point to concrete things and say God is the source of this uh, event, or God is the source of this phenomenon that we observe in nature, or God is El Shaddai who provides us, who sustains the creation, the function of creation, and the continuity of creation. Uh, and or Tzur, Tzur is another one that means you know that all of existence is dependent upon God. It, he is the one who upon whom uh, all of the all of existence depends. You know any of these ideas that we can use to uh, um, to introduce God would be true, but they wouldn't be the ultimate idea of God. And so Moshe Rabbeinu is told by um, is told by Hashem that he should go for the ultimate idea of God because the goal here is to introduce the ultimate idea of God and for this not to be just an application of, uh, of let's say, Elohim, that they understand that God wants to restore justice and order in the world, but that there is a that Hashem wants to create Kiddush Hashem. Kiddush Hashem always requires Yud Kevavke because Kiddush Hashem means Hashem is distinct from the world. He's not only, he's not reducible to the one who, who imprints order on the world. He's, he's something higher than that. So the first idea is Yud Kevavke. But then what does Hashem say? Vayomer od Elohim el Moshe. Then Hashem further says, and again, it uses the word Elohim, which is about justice. Hashem It's using all the names, right? Hashem, the God of your forefathers. That you should tell them, Hashem, the God of your forefathers, God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov sent me to you. Why is that important? Meaning that he's appealing. He's saying this is not a new idea. This is not a totally radically new idea departing from everything that you've heard before. But the God of Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov that you've heard before, he is the Yud Kevavke that I'm telling you now. 
you can relate to that. In other words, you can relate to that concept of God, just like when they go to Paro, first, what do they say? Elohea Ivrim, the God of the Hebrews has called to us, right? The God of the Hebrews, okay, I can understand that. I understand there's a gods of Egypt, gods of Ammon, gods of Moab, gods of the different nations. So there's a God of the Hebrews. Okay, that's something relatable. The God that's involved with the historical uh, destiny or uh, whatever it is of this nation or the ongoing you know, life of this nation is called the uh, God of that nation. I can understand that. But the Yudke Vavke idea is a radical idea because it's God totally separate and apart from anything that could be observed in the world. Right? So he's linking these two ideas. Hashem, the God of your forefathers. Avam Yitzchak and Yaakov, you know from the stories of your forefathers and from their experiences that they had experience of the divine. But they saw it within the, uh, they saw it within the events of history, within the events of their family, they recognized the hand of God. I'm pointing, I mean, I'm telling you that there's something beyond that. Hashem, Yudke Vavke, there's something beyond that. Now, obviously, Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov understood this concept too. They understood the concept of Yudke Vavke. It's not that they didn't have the idea of Yudke Vavke, but as we see in the beginning of Parashat Vayra, Ushmi Hashem lo nodati lahem, which means I didn't become known to them through my name, Yudke Vavke. What does that mean? It means that how did Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov relate to Hashem? How did they see Hashem, so to speak? How did they perceive through the natural world. They knew that God was distinct from the natural world, but they perceived things through the natural world. He was known to them through events in the natural world or you know things that were within the variation of the natural world. Whereas what's going to happen in Yitziat Mitzrayim are events that violate the laws of nature and demonstrate a cause that's totally external to the laws of nature. And so therefore, um, I'm going to be known to them in a different name, meaning it's going to be clear to them. Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov could have just believed in El Shaddai because El Shaddai means, okay, we see that the universe has a sustaining cause and an order, a cause of order that we call God, okay? That we could accept. But the idea of Hashem, that he's totally distinct from nature, that's in, that's in, they believed in that, but they couldn't have pointed to, an, to some manifestation of that, some concrete manifestation of that. They just abstracted that from their understanding of God, but they didn't, they didn't see an evidence directly of that. But the, the makot and everything are direct evidence of a cause outside of, law, of the laws of nature altogether. And that's, that's the significance. So they have to connect it to their historical understanding of God of Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. At the same time, they, uh, they're recognizing a new layer, a new level of knowledge of God that the, the avot only knew in theory. And they're going to be able to perceive specific, so to speak, experimental results that demonstrate that that more advanced idea of God is also true. Yeah, somebody raising their hand, but I can't see their face, so I just see a hand. Oh. Trying to understand how, how much of this was an education. For some reason, when you start to talk, I stop, I stop being able to hear you. I'm not sure why. Okay. Come on. Rabbi, how are you? Uh, now that's better. Ah, okay. Wow. Quiet, I'll talk. How much of this was Moshe being educated at this time? And uh -huh. how much, meaning he, he's being told what to teach the people. So right. How much of this was known to him 
the only thing that we can glean from Moshe, obviously, are the three episodes that we've seen him and his uh, quest for social justice. And as we learned before, the his intellectual curiosity to understand what was happening. Right. But, uh, but his knowledge of Hashem, his, his, his perception of the transcendence of Hashem, this idea of, of Yudke Vavke. So we know Abraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov had it to an extent. We can assume maybe there's a Kenim or I guess, uh, you know, close to the family of Levi. Some of them had an idea of it. The people were not completely bereft of any kind of understanding. <laughs> Rabbi, do you hear the banter in the background or no? I can only hear you, so that's good. Good, good. It's the only one worth worth hearing right now. Um, so again, the gist of the question is, what, what do we know of Moshe's uh, knowledge and experience of these concepts that we've been discussing going into this episode? Okay, so... <laughs> I would say there's a there's a limit, obviously, in how much we could know of that, and probably some of what we're going to say is speculation. But what I would point to as um, as evidence for the assumption that he did have an understanding of Yudke Vavke before, even before this prophecy, and his question was mainly an educational question and not his own education, is that when Hashem calls to him, he calls to him under the name Hashem. Right, he says. Uh, uh, he, he says to him. Um, oh, he says. It also says that Malach Hashem calls to him from the Labat Ish. So, if it's saying that Hashem, under the name Yudke Vavke, called to him, that means that he has an understanding of that name Yudke Vavke. Right, because whatever it says there is what's what's occurring in his prophetic understanding. So he must have had this understanding, at least to some extent. Does that mean that it was the fullest extent? No, for sure not. We know that that Moshe develops his understanding of the divine providence and lots of things about Hashem over the course of his career, um, such that whatever he understood at this point is just a re relative to what he understands later is, is, is only preliminary. But we do know that he definitely uh, had a concept of Yudke Vavke. He must have. Because we see that um, we see that Hashem addresses him through that name, and if Hashem addresses him through that name, then he had to have had an inkling of that name. Because the, the the name of Hashem that's used in the revelation to the Navi is corresponding to the understanding of Hashem through which the Navi is perceiving that nivuah. So, for example, in um, this is a little bit advanced, but I guess you know it's okay. Like for example, when it says elav Elohim that means that whatever he was perceiving in that communication was from the Midat Adit. He was understanding it in terms of his understanding of Elohim, not in terms of his understanding, which would be his understanding of Yudke Vavke. And when a Nivuah comes under Yudke Vavke, it means that it's coming from his understanding of Yudke Vavke. So what exactly does that mean in the context of Moshe Rabbeinu? It might be too advanced for any of us to really understand. But the... Um, but that he had those two frameworks and he understood the Devar Hashem uh, through those two uh, prisms is definitely the case. So he had the understanding. Now, does that mean that he had an, a complete, uh, fully, uh, uh, total understanding? No, because he has much more to learn and he's going to develop in his understanding over the upcoming uh, 40 years. 
but um, but that he had some understanding that he could perceive the word of Hashem. In other words, whatever clarification each one of these prophetic communications was offering him was a clarification in terms of his understanding of Yud Kevavke or in terms of his understanding of Elohim, right? When it says Hashem spoke to him under one of those names. So he definitely had these ideas. Did he have them fully fleshed out? Uh, no. Okay, so the... Um, so uh yeah so the so um so then and then the end of the pasuk is which is a very famous uh, uh line that um that this is my name forever and my remembrance from generation to generation this is going back to the idea of uh of uh, in other words i'm giving you my my eternal uh, true, the tr uh, eternal, true knowledge of God from gen that go That's why the Chazal say, "What does it mean, leolam, lealem?" That you should hide it, right? They say, "Zezechui leolam" is written without a vav to tell you lealem. You have to hide this. That's why we don't pronounce the name Yud Kevavke. We instead say Alev Dalid Nun Yud. We always pronounce it as Adonai. We don't pronounce it as Yud Kevavke because it's lealem. You have to hide it because it represents an understanding of Hashem that really is beyond our ability to, uh, even when we, uh, even when we uh, reference Hashem as Yud Kevavke, we pronounce it as Aleph Dalet Nun Yud because that's the closest in our experience to what a Yud Kevavke would mean. Because Yud Kevavke is a totally metaphysical concept of God as totally transcendent and distinct from any concept that we would have. Uh, Adonai is the, uh, it means that, that he's superior to any existence because an Adon is superior to any and all existence that we know, right? <clears throat> but that's still using the frame of reference of our experience to stabilize our concept of God. It's not totally moving beyond our experience because we really don't have the ability to do that, right? So, so what the, um, so that's why they say, that's why they say we we say Adonai we don't say Yud Kevavke because we can't really relate to Yud Kevavke and it's only said uh, by the Kohen Gadol and Yom Kippur because we have to recognize that there's a level of knowledge of God that's beyond our comprehension otherwise we're fooling ourselves so if we had only Yud Kevavke we would fool ourselves into thinking we really understood what it meant on the other hand if we only had Adonai and never was mentioned Yud Kevavke at any point. So then we would think that that was the totality of the understanding of God. And there was nothing beyond that when really there is something beyond that, that's at a level that uh, that's beyond our comprehension. Okay. So that's that. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, my question. Quick question. Uh, any, is there a significance? A lot of repetition of words. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Door, right. Yeah. Stylish, stylistic thing. Well, I mean, I'm. I would. I would. I would be. You know, I wouldn't want to dismiss it as stylistic. I think there's probably a meaning in each one of the turns of phrase. But uh, to be able to to know, since really, I think this Nivwan particular is a very uh, somewhat of a mysterious one. It obviously contains a lot of very fundamental ideas that were, uh, uh, you know, mind-blowing ideas for Moshe Rabbeinu and for the people. So 
uh, I wouldn't dismiss the uh, the phrases as you know unnecessary or repetitive. I would assume that each one is adding something to the uh, to your uh, to your to your understanding, right? You know, like Zeshemile Olam Dor has to do with you know this is my name eternally separate from uh, human understanding. This is my true nature. Means that this is the way I should be understood by humans from generation to generation, passed down in a tradition. In other words, there's a, there's a difference between those two things, um, and so each phrase does have its significance. Um, in the and but you would have to go into each one of those phrases and kind of take it apart and analyze why you know Moshe Moshe is l'shon chiba. Usually, it means uh, it means drawing someone close. You say their name twice. I think that's a Pretty typical. There's Yaakov, Yaakov. There's is uh, Ab- what? Bar is urgent. I thought it was a. I thought it was a sense of urgency. Can you come closer? Because I can't hear you. Read. I said, "Is it bar? Is it urgency?" Because I thought, I thought that in that case, it's Moshe, Moshe, Altikav Halom. Oh, I hear. Yeah. It could be, it could be. Usually the Chazal usually say, oh, it's Lashon Chiba when Hashem repeats somebody's name. But yeah, it could be that it's urgency because he didn't want him to step in the, he didn't want him to come closer because he was approaching, he was approaching that burning bush. And so he told him, don't come here. So you could be right, you could be right. Either way, the the the, the repetitions, I think, do have a meaning. Um, and, uh, and, and you could unpack each one of them. Like this one is a good example. Zez Shemile Olam. Has two different significances because Shmile Olam means whether or not there's a person who knows it. It's 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 my name, right? Because he's saying whether or not there's a person who recognizes that name, it's my name, meaning it's my nature. Just like it says, Hashem la Mabul Yashav. Hashem existed even during the Mabul, meaning everything else was destroyed. Nobody recognized Hashem uh, on earth except maybe Noah, you know, but uh, and yet Hashem was still the king even then. Hashem la mabul yashav. So this is my name eternally, d- d- totally distinct from whether any human being would know it or not at that particular time. Means this is my uh, remembrance from generation to generation uh, that it should be passed down in the uh, tradition from uh, generation to generation by those who understand it. So, so yeah, it, it definitely there's, there's an additional meaning to each phrase as, as far as I could see. Um, but that's the, uh, that's the first thing. So the first thing he teaches them is how to teach them about Hashem, because we're going to advance their knowledge of God, which is a, a part of the process of making them worthy of becoming the Mamlechet Kohanim Begoy Kadosh that's going to receive the Torah. We have to advance their knowledge of God and not be satisfied with the level of knowledge of God that is limited by material things or by experience. We have to recognize the transcendent a reality of God. So that's the name of God being introduced. And then you have Vayomer Elohim El Moshe. Oh, I'm sorry, I went back. Um, then you have Lech Viasaftat Ziknei Israel. Go gather Ziknei Israel together and say to them, Vamartalihim, Hashem Eloi Avotechem Nira Eli, Eloi Avraham Yitzchak Viakov, Lemor. So tell them, this is what the God, your, the God of your forefathers appeared to me. And he told the God of Abraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and he said, I have remembered you. And what's being done to you in Mitzrayim. Okay. This, these are the magic words, by the way. Right. Now notice 
Moshe Rabbeinu first goes to the Ziknei Yisrael. He first goes to the educated, to the knowledgeable ones, because he's going to be talking to them about all this deep metaphysical stuff, right? They're going to be the ones who want to test. It's like if a rabbi comes and, and, and you want to see whether that rabbi or teacher or whatever is going to really be able to teach you anything and they really know their stuff. So you get other people who are advanced to ask them questions, talk to them about the subject, test them out, you know, feel them out, see if they really know much. And then you're able to get an, a, 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 a realistic uh, assessment of, uh, of who they are and, and what they have to offer, right? So he goes to the Zikinim first. He goes to Zikinim and he says to the Zikinim, he's going to teach these ideas to the Zikinim and he's going to say, Pakod Pakati Yatchem. Now, Pakod Pakati Yatchem is a phrase that you should recognize from elsewhere in the Torah, because somebody else said, which was Yosef. Yosef told them, right? So what is what, what Moshe Rabbeinu would be doing in saying is referring back to the, the uh, promise of the Avot and, the, and as it was articulated by Yosef, that there's going to be someone who says, That's the, because we know people will be, rightly so, very skeptical of anybody who comes claiming to be some kind of a savior. You know, people are going to be very skeptical of that. And so for, uh, so that's what Moshe Rabbeinu is going to be up against. People who are skeptical and say, yeah, of course, you're saying you're, you, you could be a, a, the first uh, a false messiah coming and telling us, you know, that you came to save us. But when he uses the language of the Avot and he says, that's the language. And actually, Rashi says it straight out. He says, uh, he says um, you're going to listen to if you use this language, you'll know they will uh, they'll know that you're the real deal. Because that's what Rashi says, that there was a tradition going back to Yaakov and Yosef, that this was the language of the Geula for the Jewish people. Because Yaakov said, and Yosef said, they both used that language that Hashem is going to come redeem you using the word right? So what's the danger? In other words, the danger is that even if Moshe Rabbeinu comes with great ideas about God and a wonderful dream of redemption, nevertheless, it's always possible that he is a, a person who is a great genius, but who wants to use his knowledge um, in order to persuade the people to believe in him for some nefarious purpose, just like every other false messiah and empty, uh, you know, redeemer who promised, made empty promises in the history of the Jewish people. We have plenty of those, right? So the concern is that he still could be not the real deal. He still could be somebody who is, you know, so by the fact that he says, he's tying it back to the promise of the Avot. And notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, I came to redeem you. That's a very critical component. In other words, Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't say, Hashem sent me and I have come to save you. He says, He makes it that God has remembered you and he is going to save you. Right? 
In other words, that the fact that he's using that impersonal language is a sign that he's just a messenger. He's not seeking to claim any special redeeming or saving powers on his own. Okay, so so he's going to go first. He has to teach them ideas about God through the framework of these ideas about God. They will be processing everything that takes place in the coming months and year or or year and a half, however long the Makot took. And then um, and then he's going to then he's going to tell them that I've come to that now that I've introduced myself as an emissary of God who know who has knowledge of God to teach you I'm telling you of God's plan to redeem you fulfilling the promise of Yaakov and Yosef in other words he doesn't come and say if a person wanted to uh, claim for themselves some special messianic position they wouldn't cite the language of the earlier avot they would want to make it their own thing they would want to put it in the context of their own claim to being somebody special who was here to save the day. The fact that Moshe Rabbeinu couches it in the terms of uh, Yaakov and Yosef shows that he's not trying to claim any special role for himself, but he's just continuing on the process that was already understood to have begun or that was supposed to begin uh, and that was understood by the from the times of the Avot that it was going to begin. Right, so that's the uh, that's the uh, uh, the speech that he gives to the Zakenim. and he tells them, "I'm going to take you to a, a, a land flowing with milk and honey." Right, so, Rabbi, so what? Sorry, sorry to interrupt. Can you no. just explain how, how do we understand? Obviously, anthropomorphic, you know, What does it mean, pakat? Right, that Hashem remembers or or like. What are we supposed? How are we supposed right. to interpret what that? Well, means? obviously, it doesn't mean that you know there was a lack of awareness and a transition to awareness. That's not that that wouldn't make any sense because, of course, God knows everything. But we know from uh, usually the word pakad means that Hashem acted in a way uh, to fulfill a promise. For example, it says Vashem pakad et Sarah kasher amar. Hashem remembered Sarah, like He said, meaning she became pregnant and had the child that He said that she would have. Right, so lifkod usually means that the um, a certain promise uh, starts to be fulfilled. It's like it, it's, and the reason why that language is used is because when somebody forgot something and then they remember something, it's as if that thing. Uh, that's when the thing starts getting done, or that's when you start to see results. They forgot it and then they remember, so they start to work on it. So when you start to see the results of this promise coming to fruition, that's Hashem, quote unquote, remembering. The, the situation, meaning that he's now starting up the process of fulfilling what he promised to do. But it's not that he actually forgot. It's just that just like a human being, uh, when they forget something and then remember it, that's when you start to see results. With Hashem, when you start to see results, we call that remembering. That's, that's all. But the mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, essentially, this language of pakod yifkod is the language of Yaakov and language of Yosef. And therefore, um, it's language that speaks to the non- to a to a non egotistical redeemer, someone who is not coming to try to uh, uh, to claim some special status or power of salvation for themselves, but somebody who's just invoking a promise that existed before on behalf of God, not on behalf of himself. That's the that's the key in Pakod Yifkod Elohim Etchem, the significance of that phrase. Okay, and then the Shameule Kolecha. 
Hashem tells Moshe, they will hear your voice. Now, the question is, does that mean they should hear it or they will hear it? In other words, is it a prophecy of what will happen? Or is it saying that this is what should happen? Because sometimes, you know, sometimes when Hashem says this will happen, it means this is what should happen. Sometimes in Nivuot, it means it's what should happen, not necessarily what is uh, what is uh, uh, predetermined to happen. But either way, he's saying they should or will listen. And he will say to Paro, Hashem, the God of the Hebrews called to us or chanced upon us. Nikra Leno really means from the word Mikre was an accident, meaning we didn't seek him out, but he reached out to us, right? The meaning that we weren't purposely trying to make it happen. It happened by chance. We, we encountered our God, right? Literally, it means like it happened, makes it sound like it happened by accident because they don't want to make it sound like they were trying to find an excuse to get out. You know, they said, we chanced upon our God, and uh, and let us go for three days into the desert and serve our God's sacrifice to our God. Okay, that's the, uh, the so this is the ta- now. So now Hashem is taking it to the next level. In other words, not only is he telling Moshe Rabbeinu what to tell the Zikinim, and not only is he telling him how to, in other words, to show that he's a true teacher of Torah, to show that he's a genuine messenger from God. But now he's telling them exactly how to present the case to Paro with the Zikinim. You don't go by yourself, but first you have to, uh, uh, you have to, um, what's the word? Ligayes, uh, like to, uh, to recruit, to recruit the, uh, the, the Zikinim. And then you, uh, and then once you have the Zikinim on your side, you can't just go on your own and talk to Paro, right? You have to go as a, as a bona fide uh, a representative of the uh, of the people, which means that you have the zakinim with you. You go in to see Paro with them. You make this request. You say God is called and He's required of us to go into the midbar and to and to worship Him. Okay, so vaniyadati, uh, and I know kilo yitenet chem melech mitzrayim laloch velo biar chazaka veshalachti et yadi veketit mitzrayim bechol nifleotai shor asebe kirbo vachoycheni shalachetchem. So he's telling him the next st- stage. Paro is not going to listen to this message. Don't be discouraged, right? He's telling him it's part of the plan that Paro is going to be resistant. And I'm going to strike him with all kinds of makot and all kinds of wonders, and then he'll send you. He's, and, and don't think that you're going to leave empty-handed into the desert because I'm going to make sure that the people find favor in the eyes of the Egyptians and they leave with proper supplies. They're going to lend you all kinds of stuff and you're going to put it on your children and they're going to give you all kinds of kesev, zav, and clothes and you're going to carry it out of Egypt. What, what, so what I see here and... Um, is Moshe Rabbeinu is basically running through a simulation of how this whole thing is going to work in his mind, right? It's like Hashem is presenting to him. He's pre, uh, preempting every difficulty that Moshe Rabbeinu would raise with this whole process of redemption from its right. Oh, you know, what about the fact that Paro is going to resist? Actually, not only is that, that's not a, that's not a bug, it's a feature. We want him to resist. Because then all of the Niflaot will come into Egypt, which will demonstrate the reality of God, not only for the Egyptians, but for the Jews. 
And then when, and not only that, that will leave the Egyptians with such an impression. What about the fact that we're going to be going empty handed into the desert? What, what about that? Oh, well, they're going to be so impressed with the Jews as a result of all these niflaot that happened. If Paro just let them go and like resentfully let them go, they probably wouldn't have had the opportunity to cash in on their newfound fame within, and, get to, and walk out with some money and a door prize, you know, as they left. This way, not only does it re- not only does it lead to the people recognizing God more clearly because of the makot, it also leads to the Egyptians having a certain respect uh, for the Jews and admiration for the Jews and willingness to give them a lot of stuff uh, when they ask for it that they then will carry out and will be their provisions in the desert in the meantime as they make their way to the promised land. You see, so it's like you can. Yes, it's Hashem saying it to Moshe, but like I said, whenever you're reading a prophecy, you're reading the, it's expressed as the language of Hashem speaking to the prophet, but what you're reading is Moshe's mind making its way through how this whole process is going to work, right? And Hashem is guiding Moshe to an understanding of how this whole process is going to work and how the resistance of Paro is actually a part of the plan because it's going to be the stimulus for the niflaot that are going to happen, which is going to both have a spiritual benefit of Yidiyat Hashem, as well as a practical benefit of elevating the Jews in the eyes of the Egyptians and making them uh, able to uh, walk out with a little bit of cash in their pocket when the day is done. Right? That's the idea of uh, why he's laying out the whole plan here. Because without this plan, you can't really see you don't just go in blindly to a situation and say, let my people go. You know, there has to be some kind of a follow through plan of how this is going to lead to B'nai Israel entering the Midbar and, 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 and entering Eretz Israel eventually. Without a real plan, it can't work. Right? So, so this is the plan. So what's left to object from Moshe Rabbeinu? So do you want, did you want to stop here and go get tomorrow? Did you want to go to Shai or should we finish this uh, part? Or, or we're up to the part that you guys are really interested in, which was the, the part with the otot. Do you want to save that for tomorrow? I think let's, let's stop here and then go grab. And then you're going to go to Shai Rachamim for the Gimarot? Okay. So we'll see you in 10 or 15 minutes. Okay, let's say 15 minutes. Okay. Sure. Okay. See you then. 10 minutes, all right. Okay, 10. Okay.